Back when I was in college, the first time I was in college, uh, I was preaching out of Pleasant Hill Christian Church just outside of town here, a little ways. And there was one or two semesters when I didn't have to be back at school until Monday afternoons, that I had, uh, I had classes, didn't start till Monday afternoons. So then I would come home on the weekend, and I would stay home until Monday morning and then drive back to school. I got to spend an extra night in my bed at home, and that worked out really, really well for me during those semesters. I remember one of those times, it was a Monday morning, I was driving back to school, it was a foggy winter morning, and I was just about to Lovington, you know, there on that one, that two-lane highway as you're going into Lovington. And as I'm driving along, all of a sudden, the car behind me speeds up, and he got up beside me, and he started honking his horn. And I look over, and the driver is pointing to this pull-off area over to the side. And I thought, well, this will get interesting. You know, this will be, be different. So I pulled into the pull-off. He pulls into the pull-off. And he gets out of his car and starts walking back to me. And that's when I realized it was Bob. Bob was a fellow student at Lincoln Christian College. He was a little bit older than me. We really didn't know each other, but I recognized him. It's not that big of a campus. I recognized Bob. And I rolled my window down. I said, hey, Bob. And he said, can I ride back to school with you? He said, my car is not very dependable. I can leave it here and come back for it this weekend. I said, well, sure, we can, you know, he says his car is not dependable. I was driving my dad's 67 Chevy Impala. But what was more dependable was my dad's mechanical abilities, right? You know, dad, dad could keep that car running. So Bob loads his stuff in, we get in my car, and we're taking off, and we get to talking. And I said, how did you know it was me? And he said, I didn't. He said, all I knew was every time I made a turn, that car in front of me made a turn. And he said, that car in front of me is going the same place I'm going. And then I looked closer, and when the fog lifted, I could see you have the same parking sticker in the corner of your window that I have in the corner of my window. And I said to myself, that guy's going to Lincoln Christian College. And that's how he knew that it was somebody he could get a ride with. Until that day, Bob and I didn't really know each other, but, you know, that, that didn't matter. He knew that the guy in front of him was going to the same place that he was going. He said, that guy's going on the same road I'm going. He's going to the same place I'm going. Therefore, I can trust that guy. I can trust him to help me out. It would be wonderful if life was always like that, wouldn't it? It would be wonderful if we could always trust that those people are on the same path as us and we can trust them. We can, we can always trust them to help us out, especially in the life of faith, especially in the life of the church. That realization we're on the same path, we're sharing, sharing the same aim, we share the same Savior, that would allow us to travel that road in harmony, in, in unity, trusting and helping each other along. That's what Paul wanted for the Philippians. And that's what we see as we enter Philippians chapter 2 with this beautiful song, the Christ hymn here at the beginning. The, the Christ hymn, verses 6 through 11, it, it paints this beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what his love has done for us and, and what his love, where his love has placed him. It fills us, the, the hymn fills us with wonder, it fills us with, with awe about his love. But you can't miss 
that the reason we have the Christ hymn recorded here is because of something that Paul wanted the Philippians to do for each other, something that you and I should be doing for each other. It's because of something they lacked, because of something they needed, something they needed to provide for each other and to provide for Paul. So we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Again, it's on page 980 and 981 if you're using those blue Bibles that are right in front of you. Verse 1 begins, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and let me stop right there and just say yes. Yes, there is. Paul raises some questions. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love, and the way these questions are worded is the answer is yes. You have all of these things. These are gifts that Jesus has given you. You didn't earn the encouragement that you have in Christ. He gave that to you. You didn't miss out on the comfort of His love because you forgot to get in line for that. No, He gave that to you. You didn't have to buy the presence of His Holy Spirit or the affection and sympathy that we feel. You didn't miss out on any of those things. These were freely given to you. So therefore, how should we respond? Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. Do nothing from rivalry and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he says, complete my joy. I think that's fascinating. Paul writes to them and says, I need you, I need you to complete my joy. Every indication from the letter to the Philippians is that Paul is a very joyful person. In chapter 1, verse, verse 4, he says, I always pray for you with joy. In verse 18 of chapter 1, he, he says that I rejoice. And then, of course, the, the whole letter just continues this theme of joy. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. He says, it is no trouble for me to say this to you. Everything, everything in this letter shows us, every indication we have is that Paul is a joyful person, and yet he knew there was something lacking in his joy, and he needed the Philippians to make up for that lack for him, to make his joy full. You see, joy is not just a decision that you make. You don't just decide, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to always look on the bright side of life. I'm always going to see the good things in life. Joy is not exclusively an attitude. Joy is something that is cultivated in you. It's a change to your outlook, not just a change in your feelings. Joy is the product of, of relationship, the relationship we have with Christ and the relationships we have with each other, those relationships that point us toward Jesus. We're all going in the same direction on this road. We've all got the same sticker. We've all got the same Savior, right? We've all got the same Savior. And when we commit to making this journey together, it becomes more joyful for everyone. Paul is showing us what that looks like, and it looks an awful lot like Jesus. It looks like us making sure that we can all see Jesus in each other. The love we know from Jesus is the love we show each other. So how do we go from having these gifts in verse 1 that 
Jesus has given us, having this gift of encouragement and comfort from His love and His Spirit, how do we go from having those to sharing those with each other? And as Paul lays it out for us, he calls us, first of all, to be of one mind. To be of one mind. Verse 2 again. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. Some of your Bibles, I think it's the NIV, says being like-minded. Either way, we kind of get an idea of what it means, but let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Let me tell you what it can't mean. It can't mean that you and I have to agree on everything. It cannot mean that you and I have to agree on everything. We agree with each other on everything. And I think that's really good news, that we don't have to agree about everything. It is not, it is not uniformity, it is unity. Uniformity never works. You and I are not built to uniformity. We're not built to work that way. Does anyone want to share what their pants size is? And then we all see if we can fit in those pants? No? I, didn't, I don't want to either. We don't all wear the same size pants. We don't all like the same things. We don't all like the same foods. Although I think you're going to like my tacos today. We don't all share the same likes and, and the same dislikes. The call is, it is not to uniformity. Rather, the call is to not be disagreeable. It's a commitment that says, my love for you is more important. My love for you is more important to me than my opinions, even my dearly held opinions. Now that, that may be the most foreign statement you can find to, to 2021 right now. That may be the most foreign statement, the most foreign idea about 2021 that there is, because today we definitely love our opinions, and we may love our opinions more than we love other people. I've heard people say, I've heard people say, I don't know how you can be a Christian and believe this. I don't know how you can be a Christian and believe that, as though these things are tests of faith. I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for, and I've heard it on both sides, left and the right. I don't know how you can be a Christian and support that. There's a real problem with that attitude. I hope you hear that there is a real problem with that attitude. Because when our opinions become tests of who is in and who is out, we've made idols of our, of our opinions. We've elevated our opinions to where they become our gods. You can't do that with Jesus. You add anything to Jesus, you've diminished Jesus. You take away Jesus. That's dangerous. Your opinions, my opinions, our opinions don't save us. Can we, can we disagree without being disagreeable. That is what it means to be of one mind. Instead of letting my opinion rule or your opinion rule, we're going to let love rule. A couple of weeks ago on Facebook, I, I posted an article. It was a theological article. Particular tiny little theological point, and I appreciated what the author said about it because the author happened to agree with me. And so I appreciated what he wrote. And so I shared it with my friends because I said, this guy articulates this well, he's, he's written it down well, and I wanted to share this. And many of my friends liked it, and they shared it themselves. They said, this is really good, he's done a very good job with this. We all appreciated what he had said. And then one of my friends wrote and said, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. That's not what that scripture means. That's not what this means. He says, I don't agree with this at all. And then he said, Brett, you and I need to get together and talk about this and maybe have a cup of coffee. And I responded and I said, well, 
we can get together and talk about it, but you're going to find that I agree completely with what this article says. That's my opinion. That's my position on this. But even if we disagree on that, you and I are still going to agree on a good cup of coffee. And he wrote back almost immediately, said, you're right. He said, these little issues don't mean anything. They, they don't amount to anything, but you and I are going to have a good time drinking coffee. I responded to him and I said, how dare you? How dare you? This is the internet. Your opinion means everything. You can't let people think that your opinion is not important. We got a big laugh out of that. And what I loved about that exchange that we had was that so many people just loved our exchange. They liked and loved our exchange because they saw that our opinions, even though they were different, our opinions didn't divide us. Our opinions were not our gods. Our opinions really didn't matter. We were going to continue to love each other. And we're going to get together and we're going to have coffee and we're going to discuss that. And it's okay that he's still wrong and I'm still right. That's fine. He'll be okay. But I, I love that we could discuss these things. Are you willing to lay down your opinions? Or even some dearly held opinions. We've got some dearly held opinions. Those down for the sake of unity. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Not because they're right. Not because they're obviously smarter than you. Not because they actually did real actual research. But because, because that's what Jesus did. For you. That's what Jesus did for them. And if you have any encouragement with Christ, this is what you need to do for each other. Disagreements that we have about politics. Disagreements we have about COVID. Disagreements we have about vaccines and viruses and masks. You know, Jesus did not have a checklist of what opinions he would die for and what opinions he wouldn't die for. If we're going to see his love, if others are going to see his love in us, it's because you and I are of one mind. And in the same way as we travel this life together, the call is for us to be of one heart. Verse 2 continues on, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Now one mind means that my love for you is more important than my opinions. And then we come to having the same love. And having the same love does not mean that we find the lowest common denominator of love. Right? What's the least I have to do to prove that I love you? Do you do that with your spouse? Do you say, honey, how many times a year do I have to buy you flowers? If I just get you flowers once a year and it's somewhere near our anniversary because I'm never exactly sure when it is, is that enough? If I take you out to eat every quarter, is that enough? Can, can we get by with that? You don't do that with your spouse. You don't find the lowest common denominator. That's not how love works. Having the same love means letting Jesus set the standard. It means that we love each other the way that He loved us. That has to be where we all meet. We can't have two different standards for love. We can't have a standard for those who are in and those who are out. We can't have a standard for those that we welcome and those that we just tolerate. The phrase, 
Having the same love, it, it's an imperative. It means there is a commitment behind this. That commitment fuels everything that we're called to do here. It is the force behind everything we're called to do as a church. Everything we're called to do as Christians, it, it is the force behind our love. Having the same love, Jesus shows us how to love each other the best. When I was in junior high youth group, we would meet over here across the road where Jim and Nancy Motley live. And on one Sunday night, as we're meeting out there on the porch, we were about ready to, to finish up, and Jim says, okay, next Sunday, I want you all to bring back a scripture that has the word love in it. Find one scripture in the Bible that has the word love. And I went home and forgot all about that. And the next Sunday came around, and as I was getting ready to walk down to youth group, I suddenly remembered, oh, I have to have a scripture that has love in it. I've got to find something. So I walked over to Jeff Van E's house. He was, he was renting my dad's trailer, and I beat on Jeff Van E's door, and he would not answer the door because maybe I had irritated him and tested his love a little too far at that point. But I said, Jeff, I need your help. He says, go away. And I remember him sitting there watching TV in his living room, eating chips, and just sitting there not looking at me. I said, Jeff, I need a scripture that has the word love in it. And without looking at me, he just said, John 3.16. He kept eating his chips. That was amazing to me. Just he pulled that out of nowhere. He knew that John 3.16 has something about love in it. I went home and found my little Gideon's Bible, looked it up. There it was. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. And I took that with me. I wrote it down and I took it with me to youth group. Every other kid wrote the same scripture down too. I don't know if they went to see Jeff or if they knew it some other way. John 3.16, we love it, don't we? Have you ever looked at 1 John 3.16? Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. It's amazing that they line up like that. 1 John 3.16, this then is how we know what love is. That He, that Jesus laid His life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for each other. Jesus set the standard for love. Having the same love, having one heart, He set His standard. You look on down in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what having one heart, that's what having the same heart looks like. You're important to me, so I'm going to look out for your best interests. And I hope you hear, I hope you hear that sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that means, well, we call it tough love, don't we? Sometimes it's tough love. And it might mean that the people we love wish we wouldn't do that. <laughs> they wish we wouldn't hold them to that standard of love. They wish we wouldn't love them like we're looking out for their best interests. But when it comes from someone who shares the same Savior, the same mind, the same heart, the same hope, we understand how important that is. We're traveling this road together. And so the call is for us to be of one heart and of one mind and also to be of one soul. Look at the rest of verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Being in full accord. That's how you pronounce that, Diana, when you throw an extra C in it. It's accord. You don't have to do that if there's just one C. 
Being of full accord and of one mind. That sounds really clunky when you think about it. Being of full accord and one mind. The NIV is not much better. If you're reading an NIV, it translates it. Being of one spirit and of one mind. That's still clunky. There's a reason it's clunky. The word that Paul uses there in that verse, it's the only time he ever uses that word. Not just that, it's the only time that word ever appears anywhere. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible or outside of the Bible. That's the only time we see that word. It it, it seems like maybe Paul just made up a word on the spot and said, there's no other word for this, so I'm going to give you a word. He did that often, and I do that sometimes myself. It's a very holy thing. But it seems like it must have meant to have one soul to share common affection, to share a common desire, to share a common sentiment. In other words, you love each other. The force again of that word, remember it's an imperative to have the same love. And the force of this idea is I am going to do everything I have to do to live in harmony with you. I'm going to do everything I have to do so that I get to live in harmony with you. That means I'm going to look out for your feelings i'm going to look out for your feelings even when i don't have those feelings even when i don't share those feelings even when i don't understand your feelings i'm going to look out for your feelings and again that may be a very foreign idea in 2021 but i want to remind you other people have feelings and they're just as valid as your feelings and this is so important (laughs) that paul made up a word for it tell us to be of one accord, to tell us to be of one mind, to tell us to look out for the feelings of others. The, the word it may be new, but the concept isn't. Back in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, let, the manner, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of of the gospel side by side in other words you're doing life together nothing's keeping you apart a little later on in philippians in chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 we're introduced to two ladies in the church their names are yodia and syntyche they're hard names but keep those in mind we'll come back to them often we're introduced to these two ladies yodia and syntyche and they aren't getting along with each other they can't seem to see eye to eye and paul writes in chapter 4 verse 2 i entreat yodia and i entreat syntyche to agree in the lord and yes i ask you also true companion help these women who have labored side by side there that is again side by side with me in this gospel together with clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These two, women's can't, these two women can't see eye to eye. Paul doesn't say, Iodia's right, Seneca's wrong. Get over it. He says, help them to agree. They need to agree with each other. Find a place of agreement. And this is so important, he says, that you, he, to the, the person he's writing this letter to, you and Clement get behind them and help them do this. Find ways for them to find a place of agreement. Don't let this pull the church apart. Find a place to agree. Be of one soul. Look out for the feelings of others. And it's at that point that Paul gives us the greatest example of this kind of love, this kind of mind, this kind of heart, this kind of soul that we've ever known. He points us to Jesus. 
And again, he shows us what's probably a hymn that they sang. But at this point, if, his point is, if you can be of one mind, if you can be of one mind, if you can say that my love for you is greater than my opinions, if you can be of one heart, if you can let Jesus' love become the standard for all of us, if you can be of one soul, one soul that looks out for the feelings of others, then your church is going to look a lot like Jesus. And you are going to look a lot like Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Sometimes the road ahead gets really foggy, and we can't see what's in front of us. Sometimes we don't think we can make it down the road. We're afraid we're going to break down somewhere along the side and we'll just be left there. But if we remember, we're all going the same direction, that we are all traveling together. We've all got the same sticker in our window. We've all got the same Savior. Then we'll see each other home. And Jesus will be glorified. Name above every name. And long after long after our opinions and long after our arguments have turned to dust, we will be together and we'll be with Him. Let me pray and we'll share communion. Father, we thank You. Thank You for this wonderful example we have through Your Son. Lord, we thank You for the love that He lived and died by for us. And we thank You for the call. Lord, it, it would be too much on our own and yet You call us together. You call us to commune in Him. And You call us to find, to find not only our hope, but to find, to find our identity in His presence. I pray today, Lord, that those we've encountered, would, when they encounter our thoughts, when they encounter our opinions, when they encounter our feelings, I pray they would encounter Jesus. And we thank You for this bread and this cup that remind us of His presence and remind us that just as we take these into our body, we take Him into ourselves also. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.